Genesis chapter 49, chapter 49, and we start in verse 28. We'll be reading to Genesis chapter 50, verse 14. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is that their father spake unto them. And he blessed them, every one according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Meklach, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. And the purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of his commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet in his bed, and he yielded up the ghost, and was gathered unto his people. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And jo Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him. For so are the fulfilling of the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me <clears throat> in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And the Pharaoh said, Go up. And bury thy father according as thou hast made, he had made thee swear. <coughs> and Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor at Atat, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation, and made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of the Atat, they said, This is a grievous, grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it, the name of it was called Abel Mizram, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he had commanded them. And his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the grave of the field of Machpelah, which Abram bought with, with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father.
So in the last number of months, we have looked at all the sons that uh, Jacob pronounced his blessings upon. And uh, last time we looked at the last son, uh, Benjamin, and as they stood there around his dying Beth scene, bed, deathbed. And you can probably imagine with your mind's eye, if you're one of the grandchildren perhaps, and here you're seeing your old aged grandfather pass into glory. And you hear him speak the word of God to them all. There was warnings in them, as we have seen. And their grandfather would recall um, some of the sins of their brother. And uh, here in verse 28, it is mentioned that he blessed them. And they were all blessed. Uh, not only the sons themselves, but also their immediate offspring. And those that would come afterwards even after for a long time for thousands of years even for us today as we have seen and I mean in details there have been uh, encouraging words for us too we have seen the, the faithfulness of God in the prophecies that he had pronounced and the warnings that he spoke to some of his erring sons in his earthly life of course Jacob had a, a checkered path and, and past as we looked at kind of in detail the last time and, uh, and Jacob of any of the patriarchs, he probably had the, the hardest life, the most difficult, and his fate was proven time and, and time again. And there are many lessons to be learned for us. Uh, I know I started this series in, with Joseph, but we've looked back here and there with Jacob, but there's many lessons for us as well in, in the life of Jacob. Think of the, the lessons of family life, of faith in, in difficult circumstances, of trusting God when when it seems like it doesn't make any sense to do so. But in the life of Jacob, ultimately it shows us the, the faithfulness of God to Jacob. And I trust that we can apply that to our life as well. One verse that I can think of that reflects the life of Jacob is in Philippians 1.6, where it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He went through quite a few ups and downs, and about five times in his life, God had to appear to him. He had to um, give him another injection of faith, as, as it were, and he revived him again, and he gave him new hope. And um, I think of that psalm where it says, The Lord will perfect that which is concerning me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endure it forever. Forsake not the work of thine own hands. And what God has started, he will never forsake. And we see that in Jacob. We see that in every believer that has come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus has promised that none of those that have come to him would ever be lost. And that is probably the story of our life too. In moments of uh, great despair and seasons of doubt, faithfulness, faithlessness, or, or fear, sin, the Lord comes to us and encourages us. David would often pray, Lord, quicken me for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. David is asking the Lord to, to revive him, to cheer his drooping spirit when he's ready to fall and fail at times. He's overwhelmed with fear, but he asks God to revive him, to revive that work of grace that is 
already in him to make him alive, to repair him, to repair his soul. And this, you see that in, in this verse I just said, is he doesn't desire this only for the good of his own soul, but for thy righteousness sake, bring my soul out of trouble. So he's got a bigger view. He just doesn't want to get out of trouble for his own, but for thy righteousness sake, that he would bring glory to, to God. And that was the story of Jacob's life, perhaps more, as I said, than any other saint uh, we have seen in, uh, in uh, Genesis. And I was thinking this morning, um, this, I don't know where to fit it in, but just when Isaac was dying, or he thought he was dying, Jacob also showed up at his father's bedside, right? And he was that deceiver that deceived his own father. And I just thought of the, the mercy that God has shown to you and I and, and Jacob and how kind he was. So this morning we'd like to look at the, the very last verses that he indeed would speak. And I've got three points, instructions concerning his burial, his death, and the funeral. Get my large print out here. And um, <clears throat> once again, we have a, a death recorded here and a funeral recorded for us in the pages of Genesis. It is the most detailed ones we, uh, we find, in, uh, certainly in the Old Testament, apart from the death of the Lord Jesus. Uh, it devotes quite a chunk to it. And um, many of the saints, uh, there was only a few words mentioned, you know, so-and-so died, and uh, as with Joseph, we'll see you next time. But with Jacob, there's a tremendous amount of space uh, given to his death and uh, his final words. And it once again reminds us of the, the solemnness of death and the, the origin of it. Of course, Genesis 1, God created man perfect, there was no death. Man had a perfect relation with God. He was created upright, and he walked with God. And then that terrible fall happened, the fall of man and all the, the misery that sprung from it. When our first parents listened to that other voice, they listened to different promises, and Satan deceived them. Death and funerals have now become the reality of life, and we see that first death in Genesis uh, with the murder of Abel. And then in the following chapters, you see whole genealogies in chapter 5. You know, they all died at that genealogy between Noah and, and Adam. Soon afterward, we see the near distinction of the human race with the flood. And so it goes on. It's that solemn reminder what sin does and the death we all have to face. <clears throat> and everyone has to face that last enemy and the judgment course thereafter. The patriarchs died and the tribes died and whether it was a natural death or uh, caused by the hands of men like Abel or God, death is all around and it's very common. Back in chapter 47 verse 30, uh, Jacob had already made Joseph swear concerning his final resting place. He did not want to be buried in Egypt. He was not fear, fearful about death or the thereafter, but he was very concerned about where he would be laid to rest. And now again in these last words he spent uh, he spends uh, them on the instruction for where he wants to be buried. Even Stephen in Acts chapter 7 
recalls how both Jacob and Joseph were uh, buried again back in the land, out of the land of Egypt into Canaan. So we see it was a very important act for Jacob. And in verse 29, he charged them. Verse 33, he commanded them. So it was not just, a, well, I prefer this. Uh, let's hope you can get her done. But he really wanted to make this clear. In verse 29, we see him saying, I'm going to be gathered unto my people. It's a phrase that we see elsewhere in Genesis in particular. Uh, some have said, well, that just means the grave. But we see in verse 31, when he does die, that moment that he is gathered unto his people, the place where his fellow saints, the patriarchs, have gone before. John Wesley writes, Though death separates us from our children and our people in this world, it gathers us to our fathers and to our people in another world. He will be guided with those that had the same precious faith that had died before him. He was, as Hebrews 12, verse 23 put it, a spirit of a just man made perfect, and he would be in the presence of God with all the saints. Now that, that he was just in his own accord, of course, no, no one is that by nature naturally, but it was imputed to him with the righteousness of Christ. So the first thing he tells his son that I'm going to be gathered and to return to God. It was a testimony to his son of the certainty that he hath and where he would go. Ecclesiastes 12 or 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. He knew with Job that he had a redeemer that lived. He knew, like Paul, that to die was gain. He had seen Christ on top of that ladder at, ladder at Bethel, at what he, what he called the gate of heaven, as the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and made promises. He knew he was right with his God, and his sins were forgiven. Then he recalls and reminds how Abraham had bought that grave in Machpelah, in the land of Canaan. It was the only piece of land that he actually owed, even though he was promised the whole land. You can read that account in Genesis 23. Sarah had died and, and Abraham, and, and uh, they were placed in it. And his sons had bought that piece from Heth. And he, uh, the owner had said, well, you can give it. What is, what is this money between you and I? They were very rich, but he did buy it, which was wise on his part. And in due course, Abraham, Isaac, and Rebekah would be buried there also, and eventually Leah as well. And here we see a little bit more how Jacob had become more sanctified. I thought it was quite fitting, that piece that JP spoke about this morning, the, the, the process of sanctification, of growing in our faith, and how he had grown in his faith as well. We recall that he really loved Rachel more than Leah. Leah was kind of pawned upon him, as it were, by his father-in-law, but yet he chose to be buried with the others. There was something that he had to give up, something that he had to die to, and it would have been difficult for him. And it shows you that in those last 17 years in Egypt, he was more and more sanctified. When he had time to reflect on all that had occurred to him over the years. 
and he wanted to be buried with his people of like precious faith. Why was it so important for him? Why is this now the second time that he repeats this request? Why not a nice mausoleum maybe in Egypt? It's a long way to travel. He could have perhaps been buried like one of the pharaohs. He wanted his sons and his offspring to remember that they were not home. They were not Egyptians. God had made us promises to us, he would say, concerning the land and that it eventually would be ours. And more important, the relation that they had with the Lord in that land. And even though now he owned a tiny piece of land, a tiny sliver, as it were, it was a token of the promise that was given. And he wanted his sons to remember that in history. He wanted his sons to, to meditate on those promises and the, the God that is above the, the promises and over it all. He knew his sons well, of course, and by his journey home, home, they would once again be reminded of that land. They would be once again be reminded of Canaan and of the inheritance that was uh, given to his seed and that would, they would inherit in due time. They had now been in Egypt about 17 years or so, and it was going very well. They had a great plot of land. Things were growing good. They were multiplying, and there was always that temptation to stay there and, and be at ease and all is well. His brother was the prime minister of the land so they could get whatever they wanted and he just wanted to set before them the God of Isaac, Abraham and Jacob. As he knew they were prone to forget just like we are, right? We can grow very happy in this world, happy with the stuff, happy with our comfort and everything else that we forget God and his ultimate purposes. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In verse 21. By faith Jacob when he was dying blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on top of his staff. In one way he worshipped too that it was by faith in, in his God. Now in his last moments, he wanted to relay that to all those around him. <clears throat> and he ended his life in worship. And all those that saw him would, would see it and would observe it. How is that in your life? How do your children and your family and friends see that faith in your life? How do they, are they seeing examples of that in your life? Do they see the faith that you proclaim you have on a day-to-day -day basis? It's one of the greatest impressions you can give them apart from the word of God that our lives in, are indeed lived out by faith and that they see that on a daily basis as we trust even against all odds in the, in the promises of God. 2nd point the death of Jacob, verse 33. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed and he yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. So he had been sitting on the edge of his bed to those around him and leaning upon his staff. And now his work was finished. 
He had, by God's grace, finished the course and he had kept the faith. He no longer needed his staff. He laid it aside. It has been his companion since he was an old man. He was 147 to keep him stable. He had fulfilled this prophetic office here in these last few moments of his life, and the Holy Spirit had given him, it seemed, supernatural strength to, to do so, to perform that duty in these last moments of his life. And he places his feet upon his bed, takes a position of sleep, and he calmly yielded up the ghost, and his spirit left him, and he dies. When Job speaks about death, When Job speaks about death, <clears throat> in Job 14, verse 10, he said, But man died and wasted away. Yet men give it up the ghost, but where is he? Well, we've looked at it, and the text says in this verse, He was gathered unto his people. It's a, it's a beautiful sight of this aging saint dying. He had been through much trouble in his life, and yet he died so peacefully and, and nicely. You can put it like that. He died in peace, and he had peace with his God. He was not fearful or uncertain where he was going. He had that perfect assurance that JP spoke about this morning. Think again of the impact of his sons and their children around them. Think of the impression that that would have left on them, and for us as well. In our day and age, we want to put death away. We want to tuck it away. We want to clean it up. Often people go to the hospital to die nowadays, and barely anyone is around them. It wasn't that long ago that your grandparents would be, I remember my dad saying this, they, they would be in the home, and that's where they would die. They'd be there for a number of days after they had died, and the children would see it. It would be hymns singing if they were believers or last words spoken. And it was a, a painful process to see, of course, but it was again a reminder of the certainty of death, the certainty of, of uh, what has happened in, in Genesis. The world, of course, has trivialized death thanks to Hollywood. They have uh, made it calloused uh, thanks to the entertainment industry. Or it's just a topic we rather don't talk about. We just don't mention the D word. Some people avoid it altogether until the very last moments of life. Have you ever children, have your children, for instance, ever been to a graveyard? I think it's a great place to visit, to a, great, a great place to look around, look at the tombstones, and you see the little biographies of people, you see what was important to them, right? I often take B to the graveyard just because you have to go through. <laughs> We're not morbid. <laughs> but, uh, but you see what people find important, right? Some people have a truck on their gravestone or a or the, the boat, or the, the house of the lake, or, or a Masonic sign. So uh, she's too young now, but in due time, right, there's a lot of lessons to be learned when you, when you go to a graveyard. Um, so I would encourage you to do so. And uh, parents speak often and regularly with your children about death, about yours, about theirs, about your grandparents, don't make a topic you don't discuss. Warn them, even from an early age, about the reality of sin and that death is, is, uh, is real. Remind them the remedy. Inquire them where, where they're at in their faith. 
don't think that they are too young to understand it. It will frighten them. You have to do it with wisdom, of course, but it needs to be talked about. Tell them, of course, above all, if you're hoping Christ, <clears throat> so that they too have words to remember when you are gone. Now we look at the funeral. Point three. So God had promised Jacob way back in chapter 46 when he was naturally a little bit leery of going into Egypt. You know, Egypt didn't have a good reputation. And God appeared to him. And God had said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make thee a great nation. I will go down with thee in Egypt. So God promised his nearness with him. And I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. <clears throat> that would have been a great comforting thought for Jacob, of course, as he knew that Joseph, as he knew that Joseph would be there right by his bedside when he, he died. And it was also a promise that, that is fulfilled, right? We don't see it in the text here, but we see it earlier, and Joseph was right there when he passed away. And uh, we see also Joseph grieving for his father. He would have been his closest friend, no doubt. Seventeen happy years they had lived together in Egypt and with his father near him all those years. And you can imagine the conversations they would have had in those years as they look back on all that God had done for them. Imagine what they would have spoken about. The works of God. And we, we started with that psalm this morning where they meditate upon the works of God in Abraham and Isaac, all the ups and downs in their lives and all the situations that, that Jacob had gotten himself in and how desperate he was at times and how backslidden he was at times. But the amazable and unbelieving grace of God how again and again revived him and, and put him back on the right path. I think that's a great encouragement for you and I this morning. And he must have recalled the incredible mercy of God as he was chosen by God. And how they must have worshipped God together as they looked back at his life. <clears throat> Psalm 77 verse 1. Something wasn't written then yet, but you can imagine it applies to their conversations. I'll remember the works of the Lord. Surely I'll remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that does wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. This is what we do on the Lord's Day, isn't it? We remember the great works of God in history. I trust you do it also in your home. And even as you lie in your bed or when you work in the field, you milk the cows, that you think of the amuse upon the great mercy of God he has given you. That was never be sort of casual about the salvation that God has brought to you and me, especially in the light of his holiness and our sinfulness. So Joseph is not a stoic. He mourns for his father. He kissed his father's cold face and he wept 
And actually, Joseph wept a lot. Of all the saints, I think, he is the guy that weeps the most. Throughout the story of Joseph, you see him weeping. He's full of emotion. And we see also that our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, wept when Lazarus had died. Shows you that he felt the whole, uh, that he felt the emotion of, of humans, that he was fully man, and that he's acquainted with our sorrows. And he was subject to the same emotions that we have. Verse 2, we see that Joseph commands his servants to embalm his father. Embalming is that process where the body is prepared for the grave. It delays some of the decay of the body that would occur after death. Sometimes they remove organs and, 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 and put uh, other things in there. And, and, uh, and uh, they give the deceased a more restful and good-looking appearance. And in some um, of these situations, they were so good at it, it barely looked like they had died. And of course, the Egyptians were expert at this. I'm sure you've all seen the mummies that are coming out of graves even just really recently. They opened a whole bunch of them and uh, that were embalmed uh, three, four thousand years ago, and they're still in a, in a fairly good condition. So they had their superstitions around it, of course. They, uh, they had their own preparations for the afterlife, which was a man-made religion, and they would load up their graves with goods and with stuff and wheels and, and boats and so on uh, that they figured they could use in the afterlife. Uh, of course, Jacob had not given any of these instructions, um, but Joseph, he had a great rank and ability. It was easy for them to do this. And also, it was a practical uh, thing to do, because keep in mind, there would be a long way from where he was going to be buried, and in the, in, the, in the heat of the summer, the body would not uh, last very long. I know that if you read John Calvin, he's a little bit skeptical about Joseph doing this, but I think it was just a, an, um, an, uh, practical matter as well. In verse 3 we see uh, that it would take about 40 days for this body to, uh, for the drugs to work in the body before it was complete. And uh, we also note here in the following verses the mourning and the honors that the Egyptians would show unto Jacob. Even 70 days of official mourning it is said. Aaron and Moses, when they died, it was about, uh, it was 30 days, mourning was given. The normal practice in Egypt was 72 days for when a pharaoh died. So uh, we see that um, the world power, Egypt at that time, kind of came to a halt, and Egypt mourns. And these exceptional honors on display were given to Jacob, probably mainly for the sake of, of Joseph. As they've come to see also how dear his father was to him, perhaps some of them even got to know him a bit in those 17 years. He was the father of the savior of Egypt. A pillar had fallen, a light had gone out, and as Joseph had been there for them in their time of need, when the famine hit, they were there for him now in the hour of his sorrow. And we see in verses 4 and 5, we see the deference that Joseph gives to Pharaoh. He seeks permission to go home and to bury his father. 
Yes, he was the Lord of the land, and yet he uh, did not do as he pleased. He knew his place, and he sought the approval of Pharaoh. So all the, the grandeur and the position and the chariots and the palaces had not gone to his head. You note also that he going, he's going through the servants to Pharaoh with this request. Usually, as we read before, he, the Pharaoh was like a, a uh, he was like a father unto the Pharaoh, it said earlier, but in this case he went through the servants. Most commentaries say that it's likely because the Egyptians had some superstitions around mourners and that he could not directly be in the presence of the king. And he explained his reasons to him, that he had given an oath and that he had promised that he would bring his father home. Again, he also promised that he would come back again to Egypt. Um, And in verse 6, we see that the giving of the oath was sacred to Pharaoh as well. And he mentions it, and he said, you can go up and bury your father. In verse 7 to 10, we see that fulfilled promise that God had given to Jacob that he would go down into Egypt again. Jacob probably figured that he would not be going alive, but uh, he, he's going in a casket, but his pro- the promise is fulfilled. And Jacob exits the land in, in quite a royal splendor. It's a huge procession. It's a cortege that you see when kings or queens die. And not only did we expect the family of Joseph to come, of course, to the funeral, but we also see a large group of Egyptians. All the servants of the Pharaoh, the wise men of his house came, all the elders of the land, the governors of the prophecies, probably officers of the army of every stripe and rank. It was one of the biggest state funerals, no doubt, the world had ever seen. Maybe in our present-day terms, we would say, well, the senators were there, the MPs, the prime ministers, and they all came to take that long journey home. And you can imagine as the crowd lined the streets to see this great company first, Verse 9, it says there was a great company, and with all the, the chariots and the horses, all the splendor of Egypt was on display. And it displayed the thankfulness that the Egyptians had for Joseph. His kind and wise leadership um, had made him, of course, much beloved in Egypt. God had favored him first with wisdom and administration, the gift of administration, and he had bestowed that gifts on the nation, not kept it for himself. And here they display his gratitude. And keep in mind that each one of these people that went along, great or small, the servants or the army general, had their life, were still alive thanks to Joseph and how he looked after them in the famine. Now Jacob was never a king of a country, of course. He was forced to leave when the famine came, and all he owned now in, 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 in Canaan was that tiny piece of land, and yet he receives a, a funeral as a king of a great domain. Such displays of glory was, of course, no value to Jacob. He had not requested that. He was awaiting, uh, he was with, in the presence of God, and he awaited that great day of the resurrection. In verse 10, we see that funeral uh, train that stops, and there they mourn for him another seven days. 
in, uh, in, uh, before they lay him to rest. John Gill writes and he says, this is probably, they did this probably so that the, the local inhabitants knew that when this great company came, they, they weren't worried about being invaded, but this was actually a, a funeral uh, procession. The Canaanites were so impressed with this mourning that they even changed the name of the place to remember this great mourning that happened. And it's very interesting to see, if you see the events here with Jacob and his sons, they kind of have a, a mini exodus, as it were, back into Canaan. Some feel that the route they took resembled in some ways the exodus that would happen 400 years later. In verse 10 and 12, it talks about Atat being beyond the Jordan, meaning east. It seems like they did not come straight south into Canaan, but went around by the Dead Sea into the land. Of course, we see that the opposite happening to them 400 years later, when Pharaoh, in the time of Moses, had long forgotten Joseph. Joseph had asked permission to leave the land and was granted it, and the Pharaoh said, go up. But when Moses and Aaron went, they were rejected, and he said time and time again, I will not let you go. Here we see him willingly supplying all the needs for a safe journey. The chariots, the horses are used to help make travel easier. Centuries later, they be used to chase the descendants of Jacob. We all know what happened to them and what, what did Moses sing. Then sung Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. Here we see the nation of, of Egypt mourning for Israel. 400 years later, we see them mourning for their, the death of their firstborns. Here we see the favor and the kindness of Pharaoh and his people. And later we see the, the cruelty of the Pharaoh, the wrath, his hardened heart. <clears throat> Yet both the good king and the bad one are in the hand of God, fulfilling his promises and purposes. Let us place our trust in the one who has all hearts in his hands, even and particularly in this day and age. Let us not, not be overly enamored with good rulers or overly fearful of evil ones that arise. It is in God that we place our trust and not fickle men. Psalm 37, verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospered in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to path. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. In verse 12 to 14, we see how all the brothers fulfilled their father's will and testament. Maybe they were a rough bunch, but this in this they were unified as they placed his body in the cave. Brought, God has brought this wild family together. They were unified as, as one. They had much lacking in how they honored their father in the past, but now they do so with one heart and one 
purpose. His sons alone, it seems, would now carry him to his final resting place in the hope of the resurrection. This is where Abraham and all those others were buried. So here, the last patriarch, which is Jacob, is being laid to rest with full of hope and faith. But beyond that, they saw, even though it was darkly, of course, and they looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. They knew that one would come that had been promised right after the fall. One would redeem his people from the curse of sin. That one would cross Satan's head. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom in the, in the form of the, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Jacob, um, made those promises. It must have been quite a sight seeing these brothers united in grief and faith laying their father to rest. Perhaps as they looked around the country where they used to live and they had grown up, they remembered where they ultimately belonged. Yes, they went back to Egypt as a family, but This was their home. This is where the promises were made. Perhaps, too, they remembered all that had happened in this country. The sins they had done unto their father, unto Joseph, unto the inhabitants of Shechem, whom they had murdered, and most of all to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Maybe that was the wish and prayer of Jacob. When they would go back, they would remember that, and they would work out for their good. And you can see that in verse 15, but that will be next time. But you see that they thought about things. <clears throat> God has the world and all hearts at his disposal, and he can bring erring and lost sinner to himself. Abraham had brought that lot, and it says Jacob had dug it out some more, perhaps, and his sons carried him there. It did not become a place of an annual pilgrimage or worship but it would serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his promises the death and burial of Christ did not receive these kinds of honors as we see here with Jacob a few would attend the funeral which was arranged in haste some of his closest friends did not dare to come there to give him that honor His enemies would guard the tomb, which was not owned by him, but it was owned by someone else. But the grave would not be the place of his resting, as he rose victorious from the grave on that third day. There is a curious account about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, mentioned in Matthew 27, verse 52 and 53 speaks about the, some of the graves opened the moment that Christ died and later at the resurrection they came out of the graves and wandered into the city and this is speculation and, um, but some of the commentators have said maybe it was these people in this cave where Jacob lies or maybe it was some of the recent saints that had died that were, were martyred anyway It was the first fruits of that which was to come. You can go over all this world today. You can visit enormous mausoleums and crypts and vaults where 
the greats, quote-unquote, on earth are buried and their bodies are still there, and they lie there until that great resurrection and judgment day, when their bodies will be reunited to hear their ultimate fate. Only those that sleep in Christ, that died in the Lord, will be with him in glory. Jesus said in John 5, verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. He promises life beyond the grave, and do you have that certainty this morning? Jacob had his exodus out of Egypt. Later, the nation had his exodus by the supernatural hand of God out of Egypt as well. They could not have done it by themselves, right? The the powerful army of Egypt was too strong for them just to pack their bags and leaves. And they would have been slaves forever and unable to get out of that wicked ruler that was over them. And there are other Exodus themes in Scripture. Think of the Exodus out of Babylon and the miraculous way that was done. And this is not a picture of man that is sold under sin. And you and I need to be rescued from the slavery of sin. Satan and sin is a hard task master. Unless, and unless we are rescued, we'll face eternal death. The ultimate exodus from sin is in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, who sovereignly saves sinners, as he did Jacob. Unlikely person to save, right? We've looked at him. And he leads them out. He restores them. He sanctifies them. And all of that on the merits of what he has done. And he brings us in the promised land and saves us from the wrath of God by taking it on himself. We are born like Jacob a sinner, but God had mercy on him and drew him to himself. Where are you at this morning? Do you have that peace that Jacob had? When you die, is that the scene that you would see? If not, then flee from the one who has absorbed that wrath, the Lord Jesus, to the one that Jacob saw on top of that ladder, because he indeed is the gateway to heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you recorded this for us. Father, help us to, whether we're young or old, Lord, here this morning, to to think about death if we maybe haven't done so or perhaps we've never done that. Father, pray for especially the children here, Lord, that they would think about that as well, Lord, that in an early age they would come to the Savior with their sin, Lord, and faith in him. Father, would you do that for us? Would you give us that faith, we pray? Father, we thank you for all of people here that are safe, Lord. Thank you for showing us mercy and kindness. And even after we've been walking with the Lord for many years, Lord, you, we need that kindness. We need that mercy. 
Father, we need that hand that leads us and guides us until we are indeed come home. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.